enjoyed the song service this morning and the, the hymns of faith that that reflect our our need of, of God's grace, our, our need of His presence with us, our, our need of Him every hour. And He never He never lets us down, does He? Before we begin our remarks, let's go to the Lord again in a word of prayer. Kind ever to be adored, Heavenly Father, we just bow before you once again in this wonderful assembly of a few of thy believing children. And we ask, Father, that your blessing would be upon every one of us, that not only would you bless the speaking of your word according to the scripture, but opening our hearts and our minds to receive its value and to find application in the sanctifying work of the gospel itself. Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share a few thoughts from your word today and just ask that you would receive it as uh, an offering of praise to your matchless, redeeming love. And Lord, we ask that you would bless those whose hearts might be heavy and burdened, that they would look beyond the veil of these tears and, and see the victory that is ours through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His precious name we pray this morning. Amen. I would like us to open our Bibles again to the third chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. We've been reflecting upon this wonderful lesson in the providence of God in the early church and how that through the blessing of the Holy Spirit, uh, the apostles particularly were empowered in such a way as to bring about healing, not only in a spiritual context, but also in a physical context. The title of our message this morning is The Blessings of Repentance and Conversion. The Blessings of Repentance and Conversion. We're going to be focusing upon that expression in verse 19 of chapter 3, where Peter says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Many of us have studied this chapter through the years and reflected upon the, the, the reaction to this miracle, this miracle that embraces so many spiritual lessons the picture that is portrayed in this man that was born lame, lame upon his feet. Can you imagine not being able to walk, not being able to work, uh, not being able to function in a normal way your whole life? And through the permission of the Sanhedrin court, such individuals were allowed to, to be placed in a, a, a particular uh, position uh, at this gate that's called beautiful a brass a two-leafed brass gate that was noted uh, for its uh, beauty and, and ornateness um, and you had to have permission to be granted uh, that place to receive alms of those that would pass by uh, between the court of the Gentiles and the court of, of the temple itself. So here's this beautiful gate, and here's this beggar that's been there for many years. Many years. You, you can just imagine he woke up one morning, and, and uh, it was just like every other day. Somebody had to carry him. 
to the gate of the temple. He couldn't walk on his own, but uh, people were used to seeing him. He was there on a daily basis receiving alms, receiving love offerings, just to, just to uh, live a, a meager life of sustenance. And this was an ordinary day in the life of that lame man. But God had an extraordinary blessing for him this day. Following the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we find in chapter 2, verse 43, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This is only one of those miraculous dealings that God used to authenticate the message that the apostles were bringing of the resurrected Savior. This individual looked upon Peter and John as they went to the temple to pray, and, and they were just as he had done day before, day before, day before. His whole life experience, he held out his little cup, I see in my mind, holding a little cup up to receive a coin of some kind from Peter and John, but they stopped and looked fastly upon him. And Peter said to him, look on us. And he looked, expecting a coin or some kind of sustenance. And, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Isn't it wonderful to notice that the blessings of God upon His people are not dependent upon silver and gold? Isn't it wonderful to think about in the, in, with respect to salvation... That our salvation is not something that can be purchased. Our salvation is not something that can be earned. The healing power of the grace of God is given to us without merit. Without deserving it. And so it is with this man. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk. Can you imagine this? In your own mind, in your own imagination... Can you imagine this man hearing those words and believing them? Peter reaches his right hand out, takes him up, and he leaps up. He receives strength in his ankles, in his legs, legs that had never worked. You nurses and, and uh, phys uh, uh, people that are uh, acquainted with the medical industry, you know what happens to limbs that are not used. Atrophy. You, you lose muscle. You lose uh, any uh, ability to function. And yet here's a man that leaps. And then we read the very first thing that he did. He went together. I want you to uh, notice that with me. Uh, in verse 8 of chapter 3, He leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now I want you to see what he did. Um, he wanted to praise God for the healing that he received. Now that's the, that's the, the, the needed reaction that we should all have when we recognize the saving power of God in our lives. We ought to have a desire to, to praise Him. They went together into the temple. You know, 
Brothers and sisters, uh, have you ever uh, driven by a car when you're on the highway and you see a family and they're together in a vehicle and you're passing by them and you notice that, boy, the, the husband is arguing with the wife and the sister is arguing with the brother and they're yeah, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. Now they're together in that vehicle, but they're not together together. Here we see, uh, here we see a picture of someone that had received healing being together, together with Peter and John. They're going into the temple to worship and praise the living God. And this had a reaction among the people that had witnessed this man year after year begging at the gate of called beautiful. And they noticed that this was the same man and they're wondering, how could this be? How can such a miracle uh, uh, be... Uh, experienced in this man's life and they come together and and verse 12 Peter saw this gathering of people and he answered unto the people ye men of Israel why marvel ye at this and why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk it wasn't that the the power of man it wasn't the power of personality it wasn't the power of money or or uh, status that rescued this man from his fallen condition. No, it was the power of God working through the apostles. Now listen how he uses that as a platform to go into the gospel that brings us to our subject this morning. The gospel that will always call on us to repent of known sin. Always call upon us to be converted to the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Notice how he uses that as a platform. It's uh, in verse 13, The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One, the Just One, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You remember that? Just a few short months before this uh, miracle, some of these individuals at least would be among the crowd that cried out to crucify Christ. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Give to us Barabbas, the one that was a murderer and a seditious person. Peter's not uh, sidestepping that issue. He confronts it head on. And he says, you know, you denied the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted unto you and kill the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now watch this. And His name, the name of Jesus, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness, or health, in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot, or I know, that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Now what Peter is simply saying is, everything that Jesus Christ came to do, 
in the earth during that 33-year period was an actual and literal fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now that being true, the Word of God being true, now He's going to call upon them to respond. There is a necessary response to truth. And it involves what the Bible terms as repentance and, converge, uh, and conversion. What does it mean? Repentance and conversion are two sides of the same coin. Repentance involves turning away from sin. And conversion involves turning towards something or someone. The word repentance in the Greek language is metanao used all the way through the New Testament Scripture, it means always a change of mind that results in a change of direction. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. And the word conversion or converted is epistrepho in the Greek language, and it literally means a turning action or a returning to something or someone. You see, it's interesting how these two terms are used in the New Testament Scripture. And, and here we find in the early documentation of the history of the New Testament church, repentance and conversion are essential qualities of the true gospel. So Peter, following that pattern... Remember in Acts 2.38 when this great host said, what, what can we do? They recognized the truth of their sin. What can we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins or upon the basis of the remission or removal of your sins by Jesus Christ. That's what... the the act of baptism is reflecting. It's, it's reflecting the, the internal work of the Spirit in the heart of an individual when he recognizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is for his sins. It's for his salvation. And he's acknowledging that publicly through the act of water baptism. So Peter's following that same pattern in in this uh, chapter 3, verse 19, Repent ye therefore, in the light of the truth of God's Word, in the light of the reality of Jesus Christ being who He said He was, the very Son of God, the Holy One, the Just One, holy and harmless, separate from sinners, this perfect sacrifice that was accepted by God the Father on our behalf, in view of that, therefore, repent. Repent and be converted. Throughout redemptive history in the Word of God, there has been a clear call from God to His people to repent. You know, I think about this in many, many places, but... Uh, I think about this in terms of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, when, when Elijah was, was standing uh, against these uh, 400 
uh, prophets and 450 priests of Baal and all the people of Israel were around him. And he says, how long will you halt between two opinions? If God, Jehovah, be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. You can't have it both ways. And after the Lord sent fire down from heaven, the people said, the Lord, He is God and we will serve Him. That's repentance. I think about this in terms of the ministry of Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 8, we read, Israel was walking in the statutes of the heathen. They turned totally away from the God of heaven. For they served idols. And then in verse 13 it says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and Judah by all the prophets and seers, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep ye my commandments. Repent. Repent and be converted. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3 says, The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know, and my people doth not consider. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. They have forsaken the Lord. They are gone away backward. In verse 16 of Isaiah 1, he says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, and cease to do evil. Repent and be converted. Turn from your sins and turn toward the living God. Jeremiah 25, 5 says, Turn ye again, return, turn ye again, now everyone from his evil way, and serve the Lord. Ezekiel 14, verse 6 says, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. And that, those are just the major prophets. The twelve minor prophets, every one, if you'll notice, every one of those books are calling the people of Judah to repent. It's a call to turn from sin to serve the living God all the way through. Now, isn't it interesting? It is to me at least. When you see John the Baptist coming on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says... In those days came John the Baptist preaching uh, from the wilderness. In those days came John the Baptist from the wilderness preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. The people recognized their sin. They had a change of mind that resulted in a change of direction. And they were converted. They were turned toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, after His baptism and after His temptation in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, He preaches the same message as John the Baptist did. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that interesting? He would begin His ministry, His gospel ministry, by preaching repentance and conversion. It, it's significant. And it's something... You know, uh, one time I was preaching along these lines and, and, and there was a, a, a confused soul in the congregation that came to me afterwards and said, Brother Harris, you know, you sound like an Arminian. I said, how could that be? How could I sound like an Arminian? He says, because you're calling on people to repent. I said, brother, you didn't hear a word I said. 
Because repentance is a blessing from God's grace. God is the one that gives us repentance. And I'm going to prove that to you in just a little bit. But what I'm trying to get around to is that the very character and nature of the gospel of John the Baptist and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Peter and Paul is a call to repent. To repent of your sin. Now, that rubs raw Christianity in, in our generation. Because in our generation, we're preaching, uh, uh, not, not we, uh, but, but we're hearing a social gospel that says it doesn't matter how you're living your life. It doesn't matter about your life choices. You can be a homosexual. You can be um, uh, an abortionist. You can be a pornographer. You can be an adulterer. You can be a fornicator. You can be a, a liar and a thief and uh, somebody evil and still come and be a Christian. That's, that's the nature of the gospel we're hearing in our country today. But brothers and sisters, that's not the true gospel. The true gospel is calling men and women and boys and girls to surrender their lives to following Christ and living life His way. And when the Holy Spirit and the Word of God convicts us of a sin, we repent of that sin by God's grace. Peter hasn't changed the message that Jesus brought, and neither can we. So he says in our text, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of the refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to ask a question. What brings men to repentance and conversion? Let's answer that question, okay? It, it's, it's not uh, just a... Uh, a matter of man's will or man's uh, ingenuity, but it truly, truly is a gift. But we have to go to the Scripture to define our terms. Um, what brings men to repentance and conversion? Number one, I believe it's the knowledge of their sinfulness. In other words, they're not willing to justify their sin. They're recognizing what the Bible calls sin. What God says is sinful is truly sinful. I believe that's expressed by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 verse 7. He says, I had not known sin, but by the law. I had not known sin, but by the law. The law of God is instrumental in the knowledge of sin. Now this is what it means. It means that the law of God serves two main purposes. The law of God is a mirror in which we see ourselves. And when we look into the law of God, we can actually see how far we fall short. Um, but it's not just a mirror in which we see ourselves. The law of God is a window through which we see God in His holiness. See, that's, that's what's critical to our, our understanding of what brings about repentance. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, remember, he's that, I believe that that's a pre-converted uh, pre Paul experience there in Romans 7, when he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The, the nature of men, the nature that you and I have gravitates towards sin. Every one of us are like that. 
And it's only by the sovereign grace of a covenant-keeping God that you and I are able to break free from it. And that's why Paul wrote Romans chapter 6, that sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, that's my primary point. The knowledge of their sinfulness is what brings about uh, repentance. Number two, God's goodness and grace is what brings about repentance and conversion. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He said, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's God's goodness that brings us to a point where we're willing to forsake sin so that we can serve the living God. Number three, the knowledge of God's Word. You know, people are saying, well, I've never heard God speak. I've never heard God say anything to me. Well, you won't unless you turn and open your Bibles. Because God speaks to us through His Word. God speaks to us through His truth, His Word. That's why we all are constantly encourage God's people to have a daily reading in the Word of God, have a daily meditation in the Word of God. The more acquainted we are with the Word of God, the more uh, capable we become in our service to God. The knowledge of God's Word. You know what Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what God's Word says. That means you, that means me. That means each one of us, every human being, every member of the human family is born in the same condition. We are all born sinners. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We, we're sinners because we are sinners. Sin is the result of a fallen nature. And that's our constant battle while we live in this wicked world. Fourthly, what brings men to repentance and conversion? I believe a fear of final judgment. A fear of final judgment. In Acts chapter 17 verse 30, Paul preached at Athens and he said, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he shall judge this world in righteousness by that man that he hath uh, ordained. And that man is Jesus Christ. And fifthly, sorrow for sin. What brings men to repentance and conversion? Number one, knowledge of their sinfulness. Number two, God's goodness and grace. Number three, um, knowledge of God's word. Number four, fear of future judgment or final judgment. And then five, sorrow for sin. I want to illustrate this. Turn your Bible quickly with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. What does it look like? What, what does true repentance look like? Paul identifies it. In verse 10 he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow. Um, repentance is more than being sorry I got caught. Or uh, repentance is more than being I'm, I'm sorry I'm, I'm suffering the consequences of what I did wrong. Um, godly sorrow is that 
a person sees that sin as an affront or an opposition to God. And he sees himself as being exceedingly sinful, unworthy of even uh, uh, any kind of uh, grace or any kind of mercy or any kind of restoration. That's the nature of true repentance. Godly sorrow works repentance in the life of an individual that's not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, when I think about Judas going out and hanging himself, somebody says, see, that shows you that he's a child of God because he went and committed suicide. But brothers and sisters, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't believe that. The sorrow of the world worketh what? Death. death. It, it was not a repentant uh, element in the life of Judas. It was a sorrow because now everybody knows I'm the traitor. Everybody knows that I, traded, tra I, I, I betrayed innocent blood. Uh, all the apostles know it. The Sanhedrin court knows it. And many in the public eye know that I'm the guilty person. And he couldn't live with it. He couldn't bear it. So he ended his life. But what does it look like? What does godly sorrow look like? Paul defines it right here for us. In verse 11. For behold this selfsame thing. That ye sorrowed after a godly sort. You sorrowed because you saw that what you did was wrong. And was an affront to a holy God. And, what, and watch these terms. What carefulness it wrought in you. That is a word that means diligence. Or eagerness or uh, earnestness. Uh, in other words, not being indifferent. Toward the sin, but openly acknowledging, I have sinned. That what I did was wrong. What I did was sinful and against God. That, that's the term carefulness. And then he says, What clearing of yourselves are the removal of stigma? This is speaking of uh, restoration. Uh, when possible, uh, you restore that which was taken away in a sinful uh, manner. Yea, what indignation. He's describing godly sorrow that works repentance. What indignation. The word indignation. Anger or displeasure over one's own sin. You're not angry at those that caught you. You're angry at yourself because of what you did. See, that's indignation. Yea, what fear. He's describing Godly sorrow that brings repentance. What fear? Reverential regard for God. Uh, what revenge? Uh, avenging of the wrong done in restitution. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear. Clear in this matter. Clear, aggressive pursuit of a holy life. Demonstrating the integrity of their repentance by their ethical purity. Now, brothers and sisters, I've touched on this so I can describe to you the nature of true repentance and conversion. True repentance involves the knowledge of our sinfulness, God's goodness and grace, uh, knowledge of God's Word, fear of final judgment, and here, sorrow for sin. A godly sorrow for sin. Now, let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 3. I want to ask the question, what are 
the resulting benefits of true repentance. What are the benefits? Uh, is it worth it? Is it worth it to give up a life of sin to serve and follow Jesus Christ? The Apostle Peter is going to define particular benefits that are received through repentance and conversion. He says, uh, Repent ye therefore and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out. The first thing I want to notice here, brothers and sisters, is forgiveness of sins is the result of repentance and conversion. And, and this is in an experiential way. Now, uh, uh, when Jesus died upon the cross, He died for every one of our sins. He died for everyone. He paid the debt for every one of our sins, and He did it legally. Legally, we have been forgiven of our sins. Legally, we have been justified before a holy God. But what Peter is bringing us to in, uh, in, in and through the gospel is that we are experientially forgiven. We experience the forgiveness that Jesus bought on the tree of the cross. And we cannot do that without repentance. <laughs> that your sins may be blotted out, Peter says. Blotted out. What does that mean? To be blotted out. It, the Greek term here is to wipe away as wet ink is blotted out by a damp sponge. Now in that day... You understand they wrote with the quill and the, the ink well and, and, uh, and when ink would fall on the, the parchment, they would take a wet sponge and daub it, blot it, so that it would remove the ink. That's the term that is used here. Repent and be converted that your sins will be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Not only do we experience forgiveness of sins but we also experience hope for the future kingdom blessings in Christ's second coming see without a repentant life you're not basing your joy or your peace on the reality of the world to come you're not able to you're separated you're separated from the hope that God has given us through Jesus Christ let me explain that. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul put it this way. We're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who gave Himself for us that He might uh, redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a people of uh, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works through repentance. That's the only way that you and I are ever going to enter into that hope. That's the only way that you and I are ever going to benefit from that hope is when God shows us we've done wrong to confess that wrong and turn from it. You see it? That's what he's talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the gospel is bringing us to. We not only have forgiveness of sins experientially, 
but we also have hope for the future kingdom blessings of Christ when He comes again. Thirdly, we avoid the just condemnation of the wicked and impenitent. I want you to see this in Peter's message. Um, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Verse 21, Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began, this restoration of mercy in the second coming of Jesus Christ toward His people. And for Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the, that prophet. Now watch this. There are those that hear and obey. There are those that reject and disobey. He says, uh, Yea, all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fa fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Now think about this a minute. He's speaking to Jewish people, and he's reminding them of their heritage. He's reminding them that Abraham was their national father. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the fathers that God entered into covenant with to bless the nation of Israel. But through Israel, through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. How is that? How, how could all nations be blessed through the blessing of God upon one man? That, that means you and me, all nations, Gentiles, were benefited because it's through the lineage of Abraham that the Messiah would be born. In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I want you to see that because if you really are a born-again child of God, and if you really are repentant of your sins, and if you really are converted to follow Jesus Christ, you are a spiritual son of Abraham. We could study the book of Galatians all morning on that. Galatians 3 and 4. We're spiritual sons of Abraham. We're spiritual Jews in that context. Now, think about this. And this is kind of sobering. You know, this is kind of tough. But it's a part of the gospel. In Matthew 25, when Jesus was giving that tremendous discourse, the Olivet Discourse, when He was giving that tremendous discourse and He was unveiling what God was going to do in the end of time and through the course of time. But at the end of time, He said, It shall come to pass that the Father will send His Son with all the glory of His Father's house and all His angels as a shepherd, gathering before him all the nations. Now this is Christ. When he comes back, brothers and sisters, he's not coming as a sacrificial lamb. He's coming as a great king and ruler. As Lord of lords and king of kings. 
And Jesus told us that in Matthew 25, verses 30 through, uh, through 41. He says, uh, and as a shepherd, he will divide his sheep from the goats. And he will say to his sheep on his right hand, Come unto me, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now that's what we like to focus on. That's, like, that's what we like to rejoice in. Because we as the sheep of Christ are looking forward to the day when He's going to take us into the eternal home. And that's where our hope is. But He didn't stop there. But to the goats on His left hand. Who are the goats? Those that reject Him. Those that despise the Word of God. Those that live a life of sin and rebellion against the Holy God of Heaven. They're described as goats. And this is what he's going to say. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. That means you that live in sin. You that embrace sin. You that serve sin. You that are mastered by sin. You want that? That's what you'll have. You'll have the reward of sin. Which is eternal condemnation and death. That's why when we read the words of the Apostle Paul, it's so sobering. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, when he says that uh, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now listen to it. He didn't say the wages of, uh, uh, the wages of eternal life, uh, the wages of uh, faith are uh, eternal life, the wages of your works are eternal life. He didn't say that. He said the wages of sin pay you death. That's the end result of sin. It's death. Separation from God. But eternal life is not a wage. Did you know that? Eternal life is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. It's a gift of God's goodness. And I'll tell you how that gift was given to you. Because Jesus himself paid the wage. He paid the debt that you and I uh, are received by faith. Now, this is kind of sobering, and I realize this is the kind of preaching that people don't like to talk about uh, today, but it's the Word of God, and I'm, I'm bound by the Word of God to preach all the counsel, not just the things that make us feel good and happy, but the things that make us reflect upon our own attitude and our own relationship with Christ. Am I living a life of righteousness, obedience, of, of submission? Or am I living in rebellion, isolation, and separation from Him? Well, if the Spirit would convict our hearts this morning and we feel to be separated, what, what's the pathway back? How, how can I restore that kind of a relationship? By repentance. Repenting of sin and turning toward Jesus Christ. <laughs> I tell you, brethren, this is powerful if you could just see it. And it's beautiful to the sinner. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear, you see. Beautiful. 
What are the blessings? What are the blessings of Christ in repentance and conversion? I believe that's why he ended like he did in verse 26. He said, unto you first, now he's talking to Jews, unto the Jewish nation, he came first. He came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. Right? John 1, 12. Unto you first, God, having raised up, listen, listen, God, having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to what? Sent Him to bless you. you did you underline that? He sent Jesus as a, a blessing. Is He a blessing to you? Has He blessed your life? Are you a blessing to Him? He sent His Son to bless you. Let's think about that a minute. The blessings of Christ in repentance and conversion. Number one, all spiritual blessings are in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus is truly the fountain and the spring of all spiritual blessings. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. He is the source. He's the fountain. He's the spring of all spiritual blessings. I believe this morning that Jesus came as the greatest of all blessings that we could ever enjoy because Jesus brought salvation. Remember what the angel said to Mary? Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall do his best to save everybody that he can but he's going to fail mostly but that's okay. His name is still Jesus. Is that kind of language of the scripture? No. The scripture says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And brothers and sisters, I'm glad to tell you the gospel message that he got the job done. And he's going to receive every heir of promise without the loss of one. And I'm glad to be a member of that family. The name of Jesus is sweet to my ear. Because apart from Him, it's nothing but darkness and death and judgment. Do you see what Peter's bringing them to? He tells them the truth. It skins them alive. It cuts to the very quick. He tells them, you're sinners. That's not easy for proud people to hear. Not even today. But then he comes with the balm of the gospel. Reminding us that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Just like you and me. Thirdly, the nature of Christ's kingdom is that of blessing. The nature of 
of his kingdom, brothers and sisters, is blessing. Remember when Jesus Christ, uh, his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, remember how he began that sermon? Do you, do you remember? Matthew 5, verse 3, do you remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Are you glad of that, of heaven? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Brothers and sisters, it means to be uh, able to see your unworthiness, your poverty before God. You see, I don't have anything to bring to Jesus this morning. I wish I did. You know, at Christmas time, we, we, don't you enjoy uh, hearing that uh, drummer boy? You know, goodness gracious, I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I'm so emotional. But, uh, you know, the little drummer boy, he, he, he says, I, I don't have anything. I don't have a gift worthy of a king. But I do have a drum. And I'll play for you. You know, I, I, I don't know, uh, brothers and sisters, that just uh, strikes me in my heart. Because that's the way I feel. I don't have anything worthy of Christ. I don't have anything to give him. Not in comparison to what he's given me. And you this morning. You see, the nature of his kingdom is blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're not bragging on yourself. You're not bragging on what you do or what you know. You're bragging on Christ. Blessed are they that mourn. Listen. Have you mourned this morning? Have you mourned over your inadequacy? Have you, have you mourned over your weakness? Have you mourned over your sin? Listen to what Jesus says to you. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Brother Drew mentioned in his prayer, Lord, we're hungry. We're thirsty. We, we, we want to see you. And we want to serve you in the best way we can. Because you're worthy of it, you see. Is that you this morning? Are you among those that are blessed to hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, the church that I know, the church that I love, is merciful. Is merciful. We, we believe in forgiving folks that fall. We believe in restoring 
the broken, the broken people. We, we believe in that. We believe that discipline is not to destroy, but to restore. We, we believe that. And I'm glad to be in a church that believes that. I wouldn't be standing here today if that were not true. Blessed are the pure. Pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, are you making peace? Are you sowing peace in the hearts and lives of your brothers and sisters? You got a blessing here. They shall be called the children of God. You see, why I wanted to go back to this is to show you what Peter was talking about. See, Peter's hearing this. Peter's under the very sound of Jesus himself preaching this message. Peter's here. And so when Peter has the opportunity to speak to these people that had turned away from Christ, he's going to bring them to the place where they see their sinfulness but then he's going to give them the remedy. Repent. Listen to this. He sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Do you under, if you underline the, the word turning there, the word turning in verse 26 is the same word translated converted in verse 19, it's the same word. In turning away from every one of you from his iniquities. Uh, I, th I think about Jesus being our, the source of all our blessings. He is uh, the cornerstone upon which the church and the gospel is built he is the cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. We are built up uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone. You cannot have the true gospel of Jesus Christ without the teaching of repentance and conversion. And Jesus blessed His disciples. I like this. Jesus blessed His disciples in His ascension into glory as recorded in Luke chapter 24, verse 51. When Jesus ascended in the presence of His disciples, when He ascended, you know, right before He went to glory. Can you imagine, Nicholas? You're, you're listening to Jesus preaching, you know, and all of a sudden there's 6 inches, 12 inches, 18 inches. He's separated from the earth. And as he's going up, he's got his hands out as the high priest. And he's blessing the people. Can you imagine that? See, he blessed them in his life. He blessed them through his death. He blessed them through his resurrection. And even in his public ascension, he came that he might bless us. Now, brothers and sisters, the last thing I want to say to you this morning is that the blessings of repentance and conversion is one of the greatest gifts that you'll ever use. Don't ignore it. 
If the Holy Spirit has conv convicted you in some way this morning, listen to Him. Whatever that might be. I, I don't know. I don't know your heart. You don't know mine. But I can tell you, the Holy Spirit does convict us. And the, and the gospel message is showing us the remedy. That we will repent from known sin. And be converted toward Jesus Christ again and again. Every day. That every day we'll purpose to serve Him more. And thank Him for the great blessing of repentance and conversion. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you. I'm sorry.